Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It is a a real honour to be here today. I feel very, very honoured actually for Andrew to invite me to come and be part of this morning. And it has been a joy for Andrew and I to... um, to have a family of seven children and now 22 grandchildren. And um, we love family, absolutely love family. And um, we're very grateful to God for his grace and goodness and providing, and providing me for a wonderful wife in Andrea, but also these beautiful gifts from God uh, that we've sought to honour him with and made lots of mistakes on the, work, on the way as we'll uh, talk about this morning as well. So there's no perfect family. There's lots of messes around, aren't they? It's a messy family and I come from a pretty messy family and I'll, I'll share a little bit about that. But I just do want to honour all those who are over 60 today. Uh, probably there might be some grandparents a little bit under that age, but um, I'd like to read a, a poem actually, or a, not a poem, it's um, a comment that a little girl made about grandparents and I first heard this on Focus on the Family with James Dobson but it's very cute and very, very inspiring Uh, and um, she was asked to question uh, what is a grandmother? What is a grandmother? So the little girl said, a grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own so she likes other people's little girls. A grandfather is a man-grandmother. <laughs> he goes for walks with the boys and they talk about fishing and tractors, amen, and, and things like that. Grandmas don't have anything to do except just to be there. They're old, so they shouldn't play hard or run. It is enough if they drive us to the market where they pretend horse, uh, where, the, where the pretend horses and have lots of mo- lots of money ready, <clears throat> or if they take us for walks, they should slow down past things like pretty leaves or caterpillars. Andrea, uh, they, they should never ever say hurry up. Usually they are fat, <laughs> but not too fat to tie the kids' shoes. They wear glasses and funny underwear. They can, t- they can take off their teeth and gums. They don't have to be smart, only answer questions like, uh, why do, do, do dogs hate cats? And how come God isn't married yet? Uh, the, some of those big questions. They don't talk baby talk like the visitors do because it is hard to understand. And when they read to us, they, they don't skip or mind if it's the same story over and over again. Uh, Yeah, I'm a skipper. Then she finished, everybody should try and have a grandmother, especially if you don't have television, because grandmas are the only grown-ups who've got time. That's a pretty insightful little um, kind of expression of what grandmothers are. And um, so we want to honour you guys today, uh, as well as grandparents. We play a very strategic role in family life, and we mustn't drop off our game. I mustn't. And I must maintain integrity and commitment for the rest of my days. And what a joy it is to have these beautiful grandchildren. We've got um, 
uh, quite a few here this morning, uh, Abby and Hannah and, and uh, all these beautiful uh, Andrew and Meg's children as well. Lovely to have them with us. But that great line, you know, grandmas are the only grown-ups who have time. Uh, today's great pressures on family life. Uh, a research article headed the problems uh, the problems parents face today are a product of a turbulent world. The article went on to say um, parents in particular have had a rough time over the last few years with the pandemic. Between homeschooling and trying to work from home, the days seem to blur into one um, with the monotony of lockdowns. It has been a tough season. A lot of families have been under stress and you might have come this morning still with a residue of, of that. In fact, I was just went on to read in the same article that during 2020 and 2021, 3.4 million Australians sought professional help to deal with mental health issues. That's a lot, isn't it? We were 25 million in the country. So, so it created an enormous amount of pressure and stress. But it's great to have grandparents around. I do remember during lockdown, we, we sort of uh, broke a few rules. I said, I'm just going to go and see the grandchildren, uh, Andrew and Meg. So I, I said to Andrea, let's go and get some, what do you call those little water balloons? Is that what they call Water balloons, yeah. So we've got buckets and buckets of these water, water balloons and Andrea went outside the fence, hello, went outside the fence and started to throw them at the family. It was so much, the neighbours thought it was a scream to see Andrea and I lobbing these uh, and they would just get thrown back to us. That became a lovely sort of family battle there for a while. But um, a lot of fun, hey, grandparents. You know, 65% of grandparents between the ages of 40 and 69 do caring duties once a week, so uh, I read. I think it's probably much more than that in reality, hey? It's such a joy to hang out. So the pressures can come from within the family, but they can come from without the family. I'm going to jump into the, the, the message today I've really entitled is Starting Afresh in Family Life. And it's always lovely to have a new start, a new beginning, and maybe today you've come and it's been quite stressful, stressful over the pandemic, and over recent years you've been under strain and stress, but I just felt the Lord wanting, wanted to give us a chance to reset and restart, reform as we go ahead. And we're going to look at the story of Jacob and Joseph as well, and just the family dilemmas that came out of that. But I wanted to introduce you from the family that I'm from as we go to the next slide. I'm from a family of um, as eight of us kids all together. My dad and mother, mum, uh, lived in the UK. We, we all lived there. Well, the, uh, six of us lived in the UK. Two were born here. But um, my father felt a sense of call to come to Australia to work in an Aboriginal community in Western Australia. So as a family, we prayed and he invited us wisely into that story and we prayed together and we migrated in 1966. Definitely not the perfect family, quite a messy family in, re in reality. And whilst we look at photographs, we think, my, that's a beautiful photograph and I don't know if the grandchildren can pick Papa in the, in the picture. No, no. All right, I'll give you a jelly bean if you can get it right. 
But um, I'm pictured there with my brothers and sisters. I'm the second eldest, that will give you a clue, uh, out of the family. And um, so uh, as you look at the photograph, you know there's four broken marriages in my family. Yeah. There's a lot of pain. I've had to walk through some of the pain with my siblings. Uh, Yeah. I myself went through a very difficult time when I was 12 years of age because there was a predator in the church. You know, we, we, we dream and think that family should be perfect, but it's not. In reality, it's not. And I had to work through a lot of that stuff as a teenager going forward and had to move into a season of understanding what forgiveness really looked like. I'd never want to wish that on any other person. I'm highly, highly sensitive and extremely protective around my children and grandchildren. I'm all eyes. And so whilst we, my dad was a wonderful dad, my mother was a wonderful mum. They served the Lord for 50 years in an Aboriginal community. And Dad welcomed me in as, a, as a, an evangelist to come and speak. And I, had the most, I saw some revivals break out in Coolgardie in Western Australia. So we go to the next slide, which is the more the up-to-date one, which is my tribe. And, uh, but it's also a messy family too. So you, you start out, as Andrew and I did, in 1978 when we were married. And uh, is that 44, honey? That's, I always get the dates mixed up, which is embarrassing. But because um, you're... 43? Yeah, oh, no. Okay. I always get the dates mixed up, but uh, just don't say that. Uh, but, uh, but you look at our family as well. It's work in progress. I had a moment in the Solomon Islands that literally uh, revolutionized my role as a father. You know, I had come up through my family and saw some stuff that went on from outside in, stuff that was a scheme of the enemy. We're in a spiritual battle. We know that. And being involved as an itinerant evangelist, it was oftentimes quite difficult. Andrea was just an amazing mum when I was on the road. I went to the islands for a particular uh, event and to do some speaking there. And I'm in the middle of the, the jungle. I actually flew into a remote airstrip and then walked into the jungle about four hours. So we were remote, super remote. And God began to really do some stuff in that little village. And it was exciting. And I can remember the, the evening when I was walking up those little tentative uh, the, the stairs, which was just like poles, you know, wooden poles leading up to this house that pretty well swayed on, on the stilts. And I was about to go to bed and or have some lime, you know, just a sleeping bag, just very, very simple. And um, just dropping off to sleep when something happened in the room. It was like a manifestation of evil. A presence came into that space and I sat bolt upright in the room. I didn't know what to do. The hair standing up on my neck. I knew that stuff was going on. It's the spiritual world. Some of us are perhaps a little bit immune to that world, of the world of animism, which is a very, uh, in Aboriginal culture, it's alive and well for, for us. In this culture, it's very under the surface and so on, but it's alive and well. I want to tell you now, there's massive amount of spiritualism going on in the Wynnum area. As I sat there, I heard this voice in my heart. It was an audible voice, but it was a voice that I heard inside. If you continue to do what you're doing, I'll destroy, destroy your wife and your family. 
uh, my retort was almost instant. I just didn't know what, I didn't know what, my, uh, what to do. But I responded and said, Dear Heavenly Father, what is my response to that? How do I counteract that? And I heard this boy, booming voice in heaven that was to transform my role as a father. And the voice was this. The words was this. Your headship, my son. Your headship. I tell you, folks, I got very excited in that little room. Got so excited, it started to sway again. Because I realised that God had vested in me uh, uh, some authority to be able to stand in the gap. And this is what I said. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come against you. You cannot touch my wife or my children. You will have to come to me first. And if you come to me, I will send you to my head. His name is... Jesus Christ, done and dusted. It was the most amazing moment of of revelation and encouragement for me to be able to address my family and to deal with those. That was quite early in our marriage. And brother, brother, for all the men in the room, you know, it's troubled me that a lot of us don't understand headship. I knew the theory of it and the theology of it, if you like, but in terms of practice, I didn't know how to do that so well until I was in a crisis. And so therefore, when I came home, I said, Honey, I've just received an amazing revelation that God has created a covering for our home. And it's just not a theological truth. It's not just something in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. It's something that is actually powerful for husbands to cover and protect their families, to be proactive around spiritual battles. And, you know, often I would leave and things would go wrong. It was just horrendous sometimes what we had to endure and put up with. But I got this, this, this insight and this understanding that I had authority. And together with Andrea, we could just do, do the battles and that transformed the way that I did business at home. I would walk through the rooms, just, something across, just stand in the doorways sometimes and just look at the children and say, Lord, is everything okay? I get to Andrew and everything would go. Oh, yeah, Andrew's got lots of problems. No, not really. Um, no, not really at all. And I would just start asking the Lord and the Lord would give insight about what was going on. And I would just pray in Jesus' name. It was so liberating and so encouraging to be able to stand in Jesus' name, stand on the gap. Sometimes I would walk around the outside, around the, the property, and just pray around the boundaries, uh, stand at the doorways, really pray over all the electronic um, doors as well. So I'm sharing this with you because it's such a powerful thing that God has given to us to protect our families. And I think men have been really, in many ways, uh, minimized in their authority and uh, often their capacity. I just spoke with a, uh, um, a father just this last couple of weeks, last week actually, he's going through a very traumatic time with one of his boys. And I said to this guy, I said, it's time for you to rise and become militant in Jesus' name and exercise your spiritual headship. Well, anyway, it was, uh, it was a journey of learning. That's a little bit of my family. Um, and at times, family life is very messy. I'm very glad that both Andrea and I have had the, uh, to, to be able to pray. And we're spending a lot of time praying now with all the children, for all the children.
But when I check in now with the story uh, about the patriarchs, you would think that some of these spiritual guys there would have it all together, don't you think? Like uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So we'll go to that on the screen if that's okay. The story of the family tree uh, with Abraham. And it's pretty messy. Um, been a lot of interest, hasn't there, in recent times of genealogy and ancestry. I don't, has anyone done a family tree in the room? Uh, yeah, a few of you. I, I, my, my cousin has started that one. Well. I think we've found some interesting things in our family line. That really improves your prayer life when you find some of those people. But it ours goes back to about 1500 in, in South Devon in, in England. But Abraham's family tree reflects a lot of brokenness and uh, particularly favoritism. And um, you'll notice there's some ticks and some crosses. Sarah favoured Isaac over Ishmael. Rebecca favoured Jacob over Esau. Jacob, so I say Rebecca favoured Jacob over Esau. Jacob favoured Rachel over Leah. Jacob favoured Joseph over his 11 sons and his daughter uh, Dinah. So it's a messy family. You can see it sort of you know, unfolding as time goes on. I don't know if it was you know, for, for Joseph, if he caught it from his, his mom, I'm not sure. But definitely she, uh, she had him as his favourite. So we go to the next slide and get a little bit of a handle on what is favouritism. Is it a hereditary link or is it a personal flaw? That's a big issue. I don't know if you uh, came from a family that had favourites. You know, whether or not you were the favourite or somebody else in your home or family, uh, there were some favourites that would maybe not be overtly uh, reflected in that way, but, uh, but um, definitely it was felt. Yeah. So what is favouritism? It is when one or both parents display consistent favoritism towards one child over another. In fact, uh, a research paper explained that 70% of mothers who participated in the survey admitted to having favorites in the family. Uh, the implications are quite incredible. Let me read to you. Did your sister always get better presents than you? Did your baby brother get all the attention? These are examples of favoritism. Parental favoritism is when one or both parents display consistent favoritism towards one child over the other. It can include more time spent together, less discipline, more privileges. As a parent, we often try to remain neutral and treat all our children equally, but the task is a lot harder than it sounds. Do you agree? Yeah. Why do parents have favorites? Your firstborn is a little girl, and she's the spitting image of you. And as she grows into a young lady, you realize that her mannerisms, her behavior and attitude also reflect your own. You should be proud to see yourself in her. And though you may not mean it, you will favor her. And usually the favorite is the oldest child in the family. Yeah. Is that true, Andrew? No? Okay. Uh, sometimes parents feel closer to the children with illnesses or special needs. In these cases, parents will often discuss a different treatment with all the children to make sure they're not, they know it's not personal. Still, as a child, it feels very, very personal. Favoritism. It was certainly in the patriarchs. It was in Jacob. And it got, kind of jumped into Joseph. 
as well. Well, let's jump back to the next slide, shall we? Back to the Jacob story. It was very clear that Rebecca um, favoured Jacob. Spent a lot of time at home. He was kind of really a homebody, you know, just loved cooking and being in the kitchen. And they spent a lot of time together, whereas Esau was out in the, on the farm and cultivating the soil and with the animals and so on. So um, she schemed to get Jacob the blessing because Esau had bought, been born first. He was due the birthright or the blessing. And um, so she schemed around that. It's a very intriguing scheme how she did that. And, um, and Jacob got the blessing. The Bible statement is blatant. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born in his old age. To make the point very obvious, it says he made a rich ornament, ornamental robe for him. Jacob made it. He made it for Joseph, just like Andrew illustrated before. Long sleeves, right to the wrists and to the ankles. In fact, one theologian said it is thought to represent um, the fact that Joseph received the birthright. But he was number 11 in line. So all this favoritism was being expressed to Joseph. He was the favorite child. So what is then the response from the rest of the family? As we go to the next slide, we can, we can see that there's very strong emotion coming out from these 11 brothers of Joseph. They, you know, he was just a young guy. He didn't really know any better, but he was being favoured. He was wearing this amazing robe. And the word uh, hated comes up many times. In fact, three times. And um, to hate someone uh, or to, exp to, experience, to express the experience of hate, it's, it's associated with poor um, emotional well-being such as feelings of anger, shame and fear. Victims tend to experience low mental um, health, including depression and anxiety. So this jump over to the 11 guys, those 11 boys, was to actually despise and hate Joseph. Messy family. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. Joseph's dream made it even more uh, evident that he had superiority. They hated him all the more. Twice it said that. Brothers were jealous of him, sold him into slavery, lied and deceived um, their father, and great sorrow came to Jacob or Israel. Uh, such a broken family just from making a wrong, a wrong decision about favouring one person over the other. You say, oh, Graham, that's a little bit like my family. I'm from a pretty messy family too. My, oh my, we've got a lot of pain in our family as well. Favouritism was alive and well. And there's a lot of brokenness and pain. So you can see the, what's expressed on the screen there is, is, is this arising brokenness of relationship. So that went on. You know, after he was sold into slavery at 17 years of age, it was a 22-year journey from the next time that they got to meet Joseph as the prime minister of Egypt. 
He was then the governor. He, you know, the story is told of, of him going, being sold into Egypt. And uh, he rose through the ranks and became um, a governor or prime minister. Then when in Israel they ran out of um, food and grain, they, um, Jacob sent the boys down to get some grain from Egypt. And 39 years of age, Joseph noticed these men turn up. 22 years later, showed up in Egypt. Amazing. As we go to the next slide, we can sort of see more development of what's really happening here. That it was, um, it's this feelings of anger and hatred and bad, bad feelings. God was going to provide a great solution. The implications are very great when it comes to favoritism. Mallory Williams, um, an expert in this field, said there was there's long-term effects to growing up in a household where parental favoritism is expressed. The biggest long, long-term danger is depression, anxiety, instability, and even traumatic re- reactions in personal relationships and performance anxiety for both the favoured and the non-favoured children. She discussed self-esteem issues and feelings of rejection following the child into adulthood. This final paragraph says the non-favoured child will experience low self-worth, feelings of rejection and inadequacy, the sort of giving up due to the feeling like they're never worthy of the same attention, love and affection that the favoured child receives. This often has long-term implications of their performance on jobs, school and interpersonal relationships as the parenting relationship sets the foundation and expectations of future relationships, so says Williams. So we can see that after, you know, that period of 22 years of Joseph being in uh, Egypt, he's a changed man. There's some maturity. I mean, when you're 17, you're pretty immature. And he had those visions and dreams were absolutely true. But with him wearing his, you know, his robe, it kind of drove that um, sense of superiority. And the good news is in family life that might be messy, things can change. We can start afresh, and it's called the 50-20 principle. And the 50-20 principle, I just, uh, someone coined this phrase, is what God used of Joseph, what was planned for evil, schemed for evil, God has turned for good. What happened in the Solomon Islands in that room was a scheme for evil, actually became a great learning moment for me and and able to, to rise in that thing. And breaking the stronghold... Um, requires a deliberate process for the good of the family. And Joseph was able to be the instrument in God's hands to break that stronghold. In chapter 42, uh, the brothers come along after a period of time. It's a whole story of of this negotiation uh, to buy grain. Joseph recognizes them through a series of terrifying moments. Joseph led them through this uh, sort of lots of encounters and interrogations and threatening. And I don't think he did that out of a sense of vengeance or repayment. He was just kind of testing them as they went along. So it's quite a, quite a journey of them coming and going. Uh, he's not vindictive. He's just taking his brothers uh, along and drawing them in. In Genesis 45, we've got this amazing encounter. I want to read it to you. 
as uh, Joseph now is becoming the reconciler, the one who is going to be instrumental in bringing restoration to the entire family that his father had introduced, placed upon Joseph himself, this great pressure as being the favorite. So Genesis chapter 45 says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers, brothers who were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll, be, uh, there'll not be any plowing or reaping. And here's this beautiful line. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for, uh, for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. The sense of providence, even in a problem, and taking that evil thing and transforming it into something really, really amazing. So we just go to the next slide and, and just look at this, particularly verse 18 of Genesis 50. This is what has been called the kind of the 50-20 principle. Verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's an incredible story of God breaking through over a period of time through his instrument in Joseph and allowing the family to be reunited and to come back together and for Jacob to discover there's quite a long story. It's worth your read as Jacob is welcomed back into, uh, into Egypt or Israel as his name was changed. With all of the brothers and Dinah as well, the 12 sons now all united together with Dinah. That's their sister. United, 72 of them I think all together actually came into Egypt there's great home, uh, homecoming, there's great gathering, and God had used Joseph. What was planned for evil was now turned around for good. So we jump into the last couple of slides and see the healing power of Jesus to come and bring uh, a brand new start in family life. I don't know what your story is like. I don't know if on the screen uh, on the left-hand side you can relate to some of those sorts of feelings that the, that the 11 boys felt with this sense of favoritism towards Joseph. Maybe it is that you've got hurt as well. Just like those 11 did, they felt very, very hurt by what Jacob or Israel did uh, to them and favoring Joseph. Being put down, rejected, alienated, and the, the, the perpetuating of the same problems that often happens, it jumps into family life and we do the same thing that we've observed in our family. Very, very funny how it all works, isn't it? You know, when I get tired, 
I often play with my eyebrow, you know, just kind of twirl my eyebrow like this, you know. And um, it just did it for many, many years. And we had all our adult kids come. Uh, this is a number of years ago. And around the table, four of them were all playing with their eyebrows. And I thought, oh, no, this is the way it works, isn't it? It just jumps. And uh, that little bit of a characteristic, something more than that of life and, and the osmosis of being in a family and picking up some of those values. And the final one on the list is actually anger, which I'd like to put in brackets of hate. Is those sorts of responses and reactions somehow in your heart today? I felt very called to be here today because I felt God wanted to come and meet with us in terms of bringing about healing in the heart about the home. To actually bring a brand new start because some of us carry pain. And we look at these patriarchs, we put them on a pedestal and say, these guys had it all together, you know, but they didn't. Throughout the biblical narrative, we find story after story of brokenness and God actually using brokenness for his glory. Is that your story on the left? It can be a right-hand story where you are able to be healed. You can be lifted up. You can be accepted. You can be restored. You can break that curse, amen? And see what has been designed for evil. A seed that was planted in your heart, perhaps as a little child, many years ago, and it's actually corrupted you unconsciously or consciously. And now... Forgiving, having a forgiving spirit and being free from anger. You know, the heart is your control center. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. How are we going on time, Andrew? I've just a bit, got to be a bit careful these days. But just guard your heart. I've driven the circle there or drawn the circle with other little circles around it. Those little circles are like rooms in your heart. And if those rooms have been corrupted by one thing or another, the grace of God can come into those rooms. God used Joseph in that process of recon reconciliation, restoration and relocation right back into, into Egypt. They were so blessed in that land. And God blessed Israel and the whole family of 72 because of Joseph's openness to receive and to welcome with complete forgiveness. Do you have anything inside your heart towards a family member? Um, something has gone on in your world like happened to me when I was 12. The things that happen in life that corrupt us. And the good news is that Jesus come, come right into that space. And over the years, uh, you know, I've often thought about what happened to me. And, you know, and I said, Lord, why did that happen? Why did you let that happen? It's a mystery, but I'm extremely protective and have been with my children and grandchildren. Are. But I've been able to, God has been able to use that to bring deliverance to many, many people, particularly guys. Out of my pain and out of what, God in, about what the devil planned for evil, God actually has turned around for good. So we welcome Jesus into that space. We open up the door because it's a little around one of those rooms. It's a title on the top of the door. I don't know what it is. It might be favoritism. It might be abuse. 
Might be some sort of other thing that's happened to you, some sort of addictive behavior that's come. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What power there is in the blood that Jesus comes and makes that room clean and he gives us a brand new start in our family life and our going forward. There's a great little verse in Colossians which encourages us um, with regard to healing and restoration. In Colossians it says in, in chapter 1 verse 19 through 22 it says this. Powerful verses. It says, verse 19. Um, yeah. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Can I just ask, is there some stuff that needs to come out? Is there some issues that need to be declared, brought into the open? There's something powerful about confession. Um, I reckon the devil loves secrets. And we often feel intimidated by what's gone on in our lives. We come into the open, into a safe place and say, Lord Jesus Christ, this happened to me or this has gone on in my family. For us as fathers, I strongly encourage you to rise up as well and mothers too. But for us, particularly God's anointing for us men as, head, as the head of the home, which carries a mantle of great authority. So we take responsibility. We become intercessors for our family. We start afresh in family life. Let God do the miracle. So we go to the final slide. It's a beautiful slide. And I saw this and I thought, my, that is so true. There's a little child in all of us. And I changed the frame of the window into a cross because I felt that that's exactly what it was saying. When we look out afresh uh, through the window, we see the cross and all that pain and suffering. Jesus can change and transform. And I, I don't know if this is where you sit this morning where there's some unfinished business. And God is speaking to you this morning about coming into the open. And maybe you feel that you've never been able to talk about the issue. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. It's a brand new moment of welcoming Jesus into that heart space. And Jesus' blood will wash away sin and restore you to be the people, the person that he wants you to be. I wonder if that's where you are right now. Maybe that's a little child and you go back into your early childhood. There's lots of stories in the room about your beginning. Just like for me being born into my home, I was 13 months after my older sister was born. I reckon I caused my mum a lot of problems because I came with a clenched fist. I wanted to change the world. And God had to do a work in me to stop me from being that sort of a, a very, very, um, a very willful child. I know I improved my mother's prayer life. And she prayed for me. And at three and a half years of age, I gave my life to Jesus. I want you just to have a reflection on that. And we're going to lead in a prayer. 
and let the Lord just come and meet with you and, and ask the question, what is the Lord saying to you? Let the Holy Spirit just speak into your life and some of those rooms inside of you just need to be dealt with and in a safe way. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When our hearts are free, we can have a fresh start. I'm just going to lead in a prayer. I'm going to let the Lord just do whatever He wants and coming into that space of your personal and private space of your heart. And maybe this message today has raised up some issues. That's okay and you want to welcome Jesus into that area of your life. Father, I thank you for everybody in the room and thank you, Lord, that on this Grandparents' Day we've done a time of reflection and I look back over life and say, I wish I, sh- I could have done that differently. But today is a day of a fresh start. We don't have to dwell on the past. We can deal in the present. And I ask in Jesus' name if there are those today that carry burdens and things inside their hearts and regrets and disappointments about what has happened in their home. For one reason or another, whether it was it's come from inside or come from outside, I want to pray in Jesus' name that you would be welcome to come into the inner space and bring healing and wholeness and deliverance as well. I just want to lead in a prayer now. If you'd like to pray this with me and let the Lord Jesus do something amazing as a reset to take away that pain, to restore and to fill you with a fresh sense of identity in Christ alone. So in this prayer, we're just going to go to that room and we're going to open the door, let Jesus come with you into that room and make it brand new. If you'd like to say this with me, God is doing something in you. You know, this is a moment that's been set apart by God. Just say this with me, Lord Jesus Christ. I know you're speaking to me in the private places of my heart. I acknowledge I carry some brokenness. I carry some inner hurts about family life. And I want to be healed. And I want to be set free. I want to take responsibility for my part in anything that's happened. And I come with humility.
I come because I need help. I know families are not perfect. There's a lot of messy families. But I want to be healed. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross to pay for my brokenness and my my sin, my arrogance, and my pride. I want you to come into this room, Lord. Come with me into the room and make it new. Wash this room with your precious blood. I have many memories, many painful memories. I want to pull down those high things and those imaginations. I want you to take your rightful place, cleanse me, and rearrange this room. Help me to receive your truth and to function out of truth for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, you are my Saviour, Lord and King. Take me today. I'd like a fresh start in my family life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' strong name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Thank you for letting me come to be with you today. And um, I pray that if we can be of some help to you, we'll be available to pray. And uh, you can do some business with God, which will be a very good thing to do. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.